Today I'm joined by McKinsey's Synem Horstetter. In this episode, we'll discuss sustainability and green growth in marketing. So first things first, Synem, could you introduce yourself and your role at McKinsey? Absolutely. Lucy, it's fantastic to meet you over this. Um, well, Synem Hostetter, I'm a partner within our growth marketing and sales practice in Chicago um, at McKinsey & Company. I've been with the firm nearly 10 years, I would say, and all I do is support B2B companies go through growth transformations. And when I say B2B, this could be across a range of industries from chemicals to agriculture, food and distribution. And when I talk about growth transformation, this could include anything from kind of go-to-market strategy design and sales enablement to driving growth with sustainable green product portfolios. Outside of work, um, I spend a lot of time within the Chicago community and mostly with my sassy four-year-old daughter. Great. And speaking of Chicago, last month you spoke at Ignite USA, which is our conference on all things brand, and you spoke about becoming a B2B outperformer. So how did you find Ignite? And could you just tell us a bit about what you spoke about? Absolutely. It was fantastic. I think it's one of those things where everybody's looking forward to being back in person in these conferences and actually meeting colleagues and new friends um, through their work, right? So it was great to see that energy and feel that energy in the room. Um, I joined a few of the sessions. They were fantastic. We, I primarily focused on our latest research on how do you become a B2B outperformer, which was all around how do you leverage insights um, to sell better? How do you work with marketing to kind of create those insights? How do you think about developing your talents? How do you have an agile go-to-market strategy? And how do you think about having a tech enablement to support all of that? And I would say, while there's a lot of sales theme to it, B2B marketing is going through such a major evolution that it is incredibly important to actually make marketing and sales work together a lot more frequently. Um, so it was great to kind of share some of those insights with the B2B marketing crew. Great. And if you take an outperformer at face value to mean someone who's above the rest, I think speaking, we have to kind of speak about sustainability. As you mentioned, green growth is obviously something that's really important to McKinsey. But for for our audience who may not know, what does green growth actually mean and what steps are McKinsey taking to drive a sustainable agenda? Sure. Um, and Lucy, basically it means sustainable growth, right? Not that in the sense that it's a growth that it endures, but it's generated with minimal environmental impact. So it's about developing a strategy and um, thinking through how do you operationalize it with clearly defined measures? How do you take some new sustainable offerings to market more effectively to drive growth? Uh, a lot of organizations already have some sustainable products, but um, the pursuit of green growth does not necessarily mean it will be straightforward. What we're seeing here is today's business models tend to be not enough. Um, what we help with clients is um, a lot of our clients will need to have a clear sense of where the value is. Some of them do and some of them don't, right? Some of them will have a sustainable product offering. Some of them will require brand new businesses. So we typically come in and first help them understand what their customers are valuing and where they need to prioritize in terms of the sustainable area they need to focus on. Um, and when we think about what customer demand is, we need to think about where, where are the areas that the customers willing to adopt a sustainable product? They may be willing to pay more for it. There is more of a demand around it, right? Once we help them identify that strategy, we help them map what they currently offer to what that 
you know, strategic value um, levers are. And if there is a gap, this is where we help them start thinking about the blueprint. Is it a brand new business offering? Is it a existing product that they need to promote more effectively? And some of this will require some new muscle, right? We're starting to see capabilities around carbon accounting, um, a lot more about regulatory understanding of your you know, footprint and of your products. So we're starting to see a lot of shift towards both capabilities and strategy um, when it comes to thinking about green growth. Mm, great. And how can you make sure that green policies live and breathe throughout your entire organization? Is it something that marketing is responsible for? Is it top-down approach or is it something a bit more holistic and all-encompassing? I would say it's one of those things that's incredibly cross-functional, right? It goes beyond the front line. You almost have to think, start from the C-suite, think about the entire commercial organization because you need to have a mandate around sustainability that's very much supported by your CEO and your executive team. And then your commercial team needs to work with the product and the business leadership to identify what they're going to offer. And then you have to pull in kind of your procurement, the operations and supply chain to actually operationalize it and work with the marketing team to start communicating that value out there. A lot of companies are already starting to work on this, but if you ask their customers, they may not know what the new offering is. So there's a heavy emphasis on making sure marketing and commercial continues to work together to get the value out there to educate the customers. And the other thing I would say is beyond the organization, um, the clients need to start thinking about what are some of the ecosystems they may need to build. For example, a chemical company may build a partnership with another company to recycle things like mattresses. You may have a recycling company, an oil and gas company, and a municipality to kind of create a citywide recycling program. So you're starting to see these you know, ecosystems emerging that are very different than how we used to operate. So companies need to think about who else they need to work with outside of their own organization they may have been previously comp competing with. Mm, great. And you mentioned C-suite. Do you think it's possible to truly drive a sustainable agenda if you don't have that C-suite buy-in? I would say, I think at this point, the C-suite support, um, it's so incredibly important because you also need to make sure the talent is there to drive the effort. Sustainability cannot be a side project for anybody who already has a full-time job, right? We're starting roles such as chief sustainability officers, VP and SVPs of sustainability. So that level of decision-making power needs to come with support of the C-suite. Great. And is there a way to measure the success of green policies? There's a few ways to think about it, right? Obviously, um, there's the direct linkage to your carbon footprint. So as an organization, you need to first think about your internal green policies to make sure you're hitting some of your ESG targets. And as you can imagine, a lot of people are based creating scientific um, or science-based targets that they're trying to hit. So making sure that you're tracking towards those is one piece, and that's more of an internal element for a company, right? Then there's the piece around, how can I help my customers understand the carbon footprint of the product they're buying from me? So if you have a carbon accounting kind of capability, you're able to help your customers track that as well. And ideally, there's two parts to this, right? Obviously, the net zero transition is one of the goals. And then the other piece is, depending on where you're at in your value chain, 
are you able to keep your customers, right? Because at this point, customers are demanding it. And this is supposed to be something that you need to go pursue. If you're not being fast enough, you may actually lose some of your customers. So making sure that you're driving a certain level of growth from your customers as well, um, from a financial perspective, that's a business outcome that you can also track. Mm, great. And when it comes to actually adopting green policies, it's all well and, well and good to say that you're adopting a policy for the sake of ethics. And we all know that we have a responsibility to be to think more green, but that's obviously not the full story. And what are some of the business business benefits to going green, so to speak? Absolutely. And like you said, right, the case for sustainable business practices is strong and it's going to continue to grow stronger as the impact of carbon emissions on people and the planet becomes more evident. So there is definitely a moral imperative. Um, and any well-established social responsibility business is going to try to grow in a way that minimizes their impact on the environment. That's a given. Having said that, to my previous point, there's also a financial imperative to the green growth. So um, I would say one of the big things that we should always keep in mind is with change comes opportunity. So this journey to net zero is going to create a host of new business opportunities for companies up and down the chain. While a lot of people talk about green premiums, right? That may not be guaranteed. However, there's opportunity to be the first mover and actually capture the customer demand and sustainable offerings. Um, the other pieces, you may want to be the first one that actually gains access to the raw materials that matter in this transition. So there's an element of there's so much demand that's coming from the customer part of this. If you're not fast enough to act, you may actually lose some customers. So there's a value of both risk avoidance, but also being the first mover and creating a new business that may pull additional customers to your platform. So there's some growth element to this beyond the ethical part of it. And do you think organizations potentially shy away from admitting that there are these business drivers and focus more on the ethical ethical side of things? And if so, why? Um, I would say there is more and more, um, I would say, momentum towards talking about green growth. I think a lot of organizations have started focusing on their own carbon footprint right, and focusing on more of the moral imperative to make sure that their own operations are decarbonized. But we're seeing a lot more of, you know, how can we make sure growth through sustainable products and, you know, ethical part of this can go hand in hand. So it doesn't always have to be at odds. I think we're seeing a trend more towards how can we be the first to offer the best sustainable offering for your customer. And at the end of the day, if you're customer centric, and if you're going where the demand is, you're going to end up seeing some of the growth reflect on your bottom line. I think with this customer centricity comes an interesting paradox where organizations know that they need to address these things. But like everything in marketing, marketing loves, you know, to address societal issues, potentially in a surface level way. And do you think it's obvious when organizations are simply greenwashing issues and marketing is just using these sustainable topics as nothing more than an attractive message to appeal to customers? Yeah, that's a great question, right? I think that was definitely a bigger concern earlier too. But what we're seeing is the more science-based targets people are setting, um, the harder it is to actually greenwash some of the things you're doing. Having said that, greenwashing absolutely erodes the trust in the brand across the ecosystem from the customers to partners to investors. And I think people are starting to see through that a lot more easily, given how much more of a conversation we're having about this. 
it does come back to educational understanding. So companies need to invest in decarbonization, um, but also make sure that they are continuing to educate people in terms of what they're doing. You can't just now put, you know, for a sustainable business on your website and not expect to have some targets against it and not expect to have some progress against those targets. Um, so I think everybody's becoming a lot more aware of what it means to be a sustainable business and what it takes to actually go down that path. So the customers are getting a lot more educated given all the conversation around it. And I think I would say greenwashing is getting more and more difficult because, or easier to detect because everybody else is getting smarter around this. So the biggest thing is you do want to make sure that the customers understand what your green policies are to make it as factual and as simple as possible so that they can actually understand it. And any gaps in that understanding is going to leave room for doubt, right? And the moment you have doubt, you're probably going to lose some trust in your brand. Mm. And is that one of the prime dangers of greenwashing issues is you risk your customers losing trust and just going somewhere else? Great. And you measured, you mentioned targets, you know, setting targets to measure green growth. How do you go about setting these targets? That's a great question. I think a lot of them is based off of um, first starting with a baseline of what you currently have. Right. And I think a lot of organizations have invested a ton of time understanding what their current footprint is and then thinking through, OK, what can you feasibly do while without you know, disrupting your operations? What are the big things that you can shift? You know, some simple examples of that, if you think about having a ma massive manufacturing footprint, how can you shift some of that to um, EV? How can you if you have a distribution business? How can you think through maximizing your routes so you're minimizing the wasted mileage? Maybe you get some EV trucks. Maybe you think through um, how you actually think about your warehouses and minimize the churn that happens with the pickoffs and the drop-offs. So um, it very much depends on starting, understanding your starting baseline for your footprint and then understanding what are the tactical actions you can take, how long it would actually take to you know, operationalize those actions and what would be the impact of that? So it should be very scientific from that perspective, but it always starts with your baseline. What do you think you can do and what's the impact of that? Then you translate that into, okay, you know what? By 2025, I can reduce this by 50%. Yeah, you know, from a messaging perspective, it's really interesting to not say we're the company that has everything figured out and we are sustainable, but kind of clearly laying out, this is what we're doing to try to get to that point. I think that bit around trying or aiming is pretty interesting. And I think it is one of those things where a lot of people are honest about it. None of us have figured it out, right? We're all kind of working to go towards this together. And there's a lot of more learning to happen, but at least we're taking the right steps. And that's why I think scientific based and actually giving people very tangible actions. So if you were to pull up any sustainability report of a chemical company, they will give you very specific actions they have taken that led to that impact. So that level of education is incredibly helpful. I'd be very impressed to see if one of our big companies have said, I'd figure this all out. Yeah. Um, so to return back to McKinsey, um, you recently partnered with some really massive global organizations like Meta on a $925 million carbon removal commitment. And could you just tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. It's a Incredibly exciting opportunity, Lucy. So Frontier is this great partnership and initiative we launched back in April. 
It's an advanced market commitment, which aims to accelerate the development of carbon removal technologies by guaranteeing future demand for them. So Frontier aims to help create net carbon, uh, net new carbon removal supply rather than compete over what exists today. So it's a little bit of a shift there. Um, and to avoid the worst effects of climate change, most climates model agree it won't be enough to just reduce emissions. So we'll need to think about how to permanently remove carbon dioxide that's already in the atmosphere and the ocean. And we already have some ways to capture carbon, such as planting trees or soil carbon sequestration. These solutions alone are unlikely to scale to the size of the problem. So in short, we do need a kind of massive portfolio of new and permanent carbon removal solutions. And I would say while carbon removal has made significant progress over the past few years, it's still not at all on track to get to the required scale. I would say as of 2021, so less than 10,000 tons of carbon dioxide had been permanently removed from the atmosphere by new technologies, which is 1 million times short of the annual scale that's needed. So this sort of effort kind of gives the industry the confidence to begin building and to do so with urgency. That way, we're at least creating that advanced market commitment. And we want to send a market signal to researchers, entrepreneurs, investors, that there's going to be a strong future demand for this to start building. It's really interesting to see that shift in mindset. When I think about, I think, as people, we all know that the effort towards creating a greener planet is is collective. It's not one that one person can do alone, but I've never really seen that within a business perspective more one company saying that they're what they're doing by themselves rather than working with loads of other people i think that's a really nice shift exactly i think that's the interesting part right these ecosystems that are emerging are incredibly inspiring and i think that's kind of emphasizes the point that this is not just a one person show or a one company show that we actually all need to collaborate on this and moving forwards do you think we can expect things like this to become a bit, to become more common and these kind of big budget commitments from the big names? And would you say that's a fair enough assessment? I think so. I would say for sure, right? Um, the pressure businesses feel, it comes from the urgency of needing to address the climate change. And the more we're able to mobilize this across different sectors and industries, the better we'll be able to tackle it. Uh, Frontier is, for example, just one partnership we've engaged in. Um, but we're also knowledge partner of the Mission Impossible par Mission Possible Partnership, and we're working to decarbonize some of the planet's hardest to abate industries like heavy duty road transportation, aviation, shipping, steel, aluminum, cement, and chemicals. The reality is, like you said, getting to net zero will require not just individual contributions, but a collaboration across multiple companies. Because at the end of the day, it's going to require the largest capital reallocation in human history and will require every industry to act on it. So I think by working together, at least these sort of initiatives can help get us on the right path for cross-sector um, and industry collaboration. And do you think marketing kind of plays a key role in ensuring that cross-industry collaboration? Absolutely. I would say marketing is one of the most critical forms of that whole customer education too, right? Um, you're essentially trying to get the message out there, but also making sure that you're educating the customer about what else is possible. So from that perspective, I love seeing more of the collaboration internally too within marketing and sales um, to make sure that whatever 
organizations are doing is clearly laid out in front of the customer and that communication and that level of transparency is is being set up. Interesting. And going forwards, it seems to me that green policies are only going to become more and more important, not just from a business side, but from an employee side, you know, as Gen Z enter the workforce. I think it's fair enough to say they potentially have a bit more active interest in green policies compared to older generations. Mm-hmm. Would you say that this is fair enough? And if so, what does this kind of mean for the future of sustainability and marketing? Absolutely. And Lucy, we actually did a study on Gen Z's attitude as consumers, right? Um, and found that when they're purchasing items, they're very concerned about ethics regarding the companies they're buying from. Obviously, you can say, look, buying a product is not the same as applying for a job. But I do think there's a meaningful relationship there. When it comes to Gen Z, they're value driven. They care about who and what they support through their individual actions and choices. So in particular, I think the next generation of employees will care about what green policies and sustainable practices their employers have in place. I think as they enter that workforce, they will bring these values with them. And we're already seeing passion on this topic with our current workforce too. Um, at McKinsey, for example, our global sustainability efforts, you know, with our green teams all over the world, we probably have 100 plus offices who are committed to driving environmental initiatives that reduce our footprint and build awareness. We have more than 1,100 uh, colleagues in these green teams that are spearheading sustainability efforts that will create change in the communities. So Gen Z's passion is exciting, and I think it's one of those things that companies can't ignore. Um, and they need to be ready to engage them on their efforts around sustainability as they arrive. And what do you think this means for the future of sustainability and marketing and what else is on the horizon for McKinsey when it comes to sustainability? I would say the big thing is I think some of the topics that we mentioned, right? Gen Z is very aware. If you think about Gen Z as an audience, as Gen Z as an employee, marketing needs to be all about the transparent, honest, you know, science-based communication, they will spot greenwashing relatively easily because they're a lot more educated and the conversation's happening a lot more in a lot more robust way. Um, So purely kind of connecting the marketing piece to the Gen Z conversation we were having. But I would expect, um, similar to earlier what I said, a lot of companies have focused on their internal decarbonization efforts. They have laid out their targets and now they're starting to shift towards, okay, what do my customers want? And how can I get there faster and be their reliable, sustainable product partner, whether it's giving them the access to the right products, creating new solutions for them so I can help them formalize a more sustainable offering or help be part of an ecosystem so we can drive this um, net zero transition faster in a collaborative way. So I expect for McKinsey um, that will continue to support our clients as they build that strategy and start helping operationalize that. Great. Well, I think it's safe to say that the pressure is on for organizations who want to win big to adopt green policies. Absolutely. Great. Well, I think that is the perfect place to leave it. So thank you for joining me, Sinem. Um, and for our audience, thank you for listening. You can check out all episodes of the B2B Marketing Podcast on our website, b2bmarketing.net, under the podcast tab. So thank you and goodbye.